we want to do what we were just singing about. And um, as Jane was leading us in that song and really the, even her prayer leading into that, um, in this time, in this season that we are in, uh, what a great gift we have in that friendship with Jesus that we can share our heart with him. And I want us to um, just, uh, this is going to be a, like a, a simple fill in the blank prayer. And we can do this um, a couple of ways. One, um, I want us to use the chat feature. Um, so if you could um, position yourself to respond in prayer by filling in the blanks for this, but this is also a way for you to pray during the week. Um, our prayers don't have to be big and real wordy. They can just be real simple. And I want to use these prayer prompts um, to guide our time of prayer um, in the, just the next few moments. Um, the first one, um, as we come to God, um, however you want to, uh, to phrase this, God, I am grieving the loss of blank. God, I am missing blank. Make this your prayer. Just between you and God, you can share it with us. If we were in one big room, this would be an opportunity for us to give voice to this, and we would be encouraged by um, others who are probably saying many of the same things that we are feeling. Grieving the loss of, or I miss, freedom. Two of you have already said friends. Closeness church and being together mm. seeing my dad and having my mother-in-law visit mm. Mm. for this weekend very appropriate our u.s veterans yeah safety yeah missing the mountains barbara's missing trips with her husband tom Spontaneity, yeah. This is something that's been taken from us. Grieving the loss of structure and a sense of purpose. Mm. Grieving the loss of hugs. Again, church family. The closing of Mount Hermon. Mm. The sun. Adventure companionship, laughter. Hmm. Grieving the loss of a friend and a brother. Hmm. Again, this can be a prayer prompt for you throughout the week when you find your heart heavy. Um, take it to the Lord in prayer. Um, the other fill in the blank, um, I want us to take a moment and lay our requests before God. And you can just very simply fill in the blank for this prayer. God, I long for you to, what is your request? What would you desire? What's your longing for God to do right now?
Mm. Heal our land, heal our world. Mm. Personal renewal, peace, Ooh, a great awakening. Peacefully to help each other. Long for God to give clarity. Amen to that. Boy, wouldn't we like that right now? Hmm. A restoration of our lives. The healing of a very divisive situation in our land. A longing for strength for next steps. Longing just to remind people to show kindness in this season. Peace. Longing for God to build our faith. Mm. Mm. Longing for wisdom. Yeah. Let's be people who take our cares our sense of loss, we take that to the Lord, and we can also take our longings and our uh, desires to the Lord. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue look at uh, a scripture passage. God, I want to begin by praising you for being one who cares and who listens. You noted what was put in a chat feature. You noted just those quiet meditations of our heart. You grieve with us. You feel the pains of loss along with us. And you know the deep longings of our heart. In fact, you not only know those longings and desires that we have, I believe that even before our request made it to our lips, you have sovereign actively been at work to respond to our longings, our wants, the needs that we have, and that we look to you to meet. Thank you for your friendship and the care that you have for us. In these next few moments, I pray that our hearts will be drawn together as we take steps closer to you. Um, open our eyes, as the psalmist says in, one, in Psalm 119, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things from your law, from your word. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Our prayers acknowledge losses and longings, um, and, and in a way, they um, also acknowledge that life is hard, uh, that life is provided more um, right now. Life is provided more than its share of trials. I think this is something that we can all agree to. Um, I want to read a passage in 1 Peter 4, um, several verses before what Jane shared earlier. First uh, Peter 4, beginning in verse 12, and uh, I'm going to put First Peter 4.12 in the chat feature for you to follow along, and I'm going to read all the way through to verse 14. So if you have a Bible app or a Bible right there close by, um, uh, jump into First Peter here with me. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I think this is a great verse for us to read after we've just kind of poured out our hearts and 
God hears us, but it's also good to remind, be reminded that we, we shouldn't be surprised by, uh, by these challenges. It goes on, Peter writes, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. And we're going to talk about glory um, in just a little bit. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. When I was looking over this passage and, and um, I try before I really study a passage, I try to just let it marinate, let my soul kind of marinate in it. And as I was meditating and reflecting on this opening passage, fiery ordeal was the phrase that really stood out to me, a fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised. What is, what is this talking about with the fiery ordeal? And I ended up doing a little bit of research on this. Um, but it is kind of a, it is, the meaning of this is found in the use of fire when it's applied to certain things to reduce them to their core essence. So it, it has to do with reducing. Uh, we at our house, we cooked some burgers the other day. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to throw some burgers on the grill again. Um, we, we are carnivores in the Taylor family. Um, but this is something that you, you don't have to be a carnivore to notice this. The hamburger patty, once it's cooked, is smaller. It's, it's reduced. You submit this hamburger patty in its raw form to a fiery ordeal, and it's reduced. Well, what is, what's happening in that reducing process? Well, essentially, the excess is being burned away. And so what Peter is telling us here is, don't be surprised when you encounter trials and hardships. They serve to burn off the excess in your life. And what's the excess? Is he talking about burning off our savings? It feels like that maybe in the midst of uh, 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 just all that the economy has thrown at so many of you. And I've, I've had conversations with some of you who have just recently lost your jobs. Is that what this is talking about? Is it the excess? You had all that excess money? Well, this is what I believe that we could think of as the excess. It's, it's anything in our lives that isn't a reflection of our creator. The excess is our false self. It's the you or it's the me that we hide behind when we're feeling insecure and uncertain and fearful and ashamed. God wants to burn that off. He wants, um, wants us to be reduced so that what we have left is what is good and beautiful and true and is a reflection of our creator whose image we were created in. And then this, that passage says, in the midst of trials, that we are blessed. What does this mean? We're not blessed because of the trials. We are blessed that in the midst of the fiery trial, in the midst of this reducing, I don't know if you caught this part of it, but you are not alone. This is the blessing. You are not alone. It says that God's spirit rests on you. So, so think of it like this. The excess is getting burned off of you right now. And what people see is a reflection of the fruit of God's spirit resting on you. The excess gets burned so that when people see you, they see your godlike characteristics. They see that you are 
kind and supportive and passionate and fun and thoughtful. Now those words sound familiar because at the beginning of our time together, um, those were words that we were talking about that um, when people looked at Abby and Rebecca, when those in the, uh, in the field of education were thinking for these Golden Bell Awards, when they were thinking about um, Abby and Rebecca and the recipients of this, of this award, those were the thoughts that came to mind. Those were the characteristics. Now, now think about it. Abby and Rebecca endured an entire school year, an especially challenging school year, and it's at the end of the school year, not just the first day of school, but at the end of the school year, that what Rebecca and Abby's peers saw were things like kindness, passion, and thoughtfulness, evidence of God's spirit at rest on their lives. Now, I don't know about you, but at the beginning of a challenge, before the challenge of a, we'll call it a school year, begins, before I'm faced with an, a fiery ordeal, I can kind of muster up some kindness. I can be kind of fun. But this is talking about your character. This is talking about burning off all of the false self so that what is left is the you that is most like God, the you that is the you that God created you to be. What a beautiful gift that is. That's as the spirit rests on you, know that the excess is being burned off and people will see the spirit. And then I want to um, touch on just some of these verses that, that Jane shared uh, with us in uh, preparation for that song that we sang, 1 Peter 5, beginning in verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So what does this humble yourself look like? Because when I first read this, I, my, my mind went to like some negative act of self-denial. Um, like, you know, humiliation type of a thing. And that's not at all what, what's being talked about here. This is actually, um, it's a positive thing. It's, it's, it's an act of dependence on God for help. So think of it as the opposite of, of pride. Pride says, I got this. Humility says, Lord, I know you can handle this. Humility is not a self-deprecating, I suck and I can't handle all that life is throwing at me. That's not what's being talked about here. Humility is acknowledging that God can handle whatever it is that we find ourselves going through. And then verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him. Now, this is not an additional command that we do after we humble ourselves. Actually, casting our cares and anxieties on him is how we humble ourselves. I think that's really important because if you were to say humble yourself, what does that? Very simply. It is saying, I am going to acknowledge the fact that the Lord can handle all that distresses me at this time. It's kind of like saying, I, I can't cure my anxiety, but what I can do is I can cast that anxiety on him. This is the how of humbling ourselves, casting our burdensome cares onto the loving, trustworthy, ever capable Savior. Rather than wearily searching for self-remedies, we present our bodies, we present our worries to the Lord, and we listen to his words of comfort. And when we cast our cares onto the God who cares, what does that leave us with? Well, then we are carefree. 
not trouble-free or difficulty-free, but we are carefree. At the end of a school year, if one of the three words that describes your character is fun, <laughs> then you are figuring out the path of a carefree life of trust in the Lord. Let me tell you the story. Um, when, when, when Jack, who is almost like legal adult age now, this is really weird to talk about a time when he was two years old. It feels like lifetimes ago. But when Jack was about two years old, Beth and I made a road trip with him from St. Louis down to Florida. My, uh, my dad gifted us with a, a week at a, um, a timeshare kind of resort area in Florida. And at one of the several pools at this resort, I stood in chest deep water and I, I did what so many parents have done with their kids. I set Jack on the ledge of the pool and I began to coax him to jump from the ledge into my arms. It took a long time, but he eventually jumped. And not long after that, he was telling me to scoot back, scoot back. He didn't learn, he didn't learn how to swim on that trip, but he did experience experience the exhilaration of the jump and the splash and the big smiles of affirmation. Um, he wouldn't have necessarily made this association, but Jack learned the joy that accompanies a carefree leap into the arms of someone who cares very much. His cares, he was able to trust in someone else. Now, that same week, I had a dream. Um, it, was, it was actually more of a nightmare. Um, in my dream, much like reality, this is the good part, Jack gained confidence to jump into my arms, but the nightmare part of my dream, what sent me bolting straight up out of, out of sleep was that in my nightmare part of the dream, Jack jumped, but I wasn't in the pool. Like I said, I bolted awake and the last thing in my dream that I saw was his little body flailing in the water it was horrible. And so the next morning, I pull him in close, and I'm trying to explain to my two-year-old son that what he had been doing in jumping off, the, off uh, the ledge of the pool and into my arms, he was not simply jumping into the pool, he was jumping into my arms. So here's my point. When we cast our anxiety on God, we are acknowledging that the water is way over our head but we humbly confess that the only reason we can make the carefree leap is because God is in those deep waters and he cares. The thing for us to remember is that he is not inviting us to jump into the deep end as much as this is an opportunity for him to invite us to jump into his arms. What we are each going through in our own unique way, the challenges that we face, each one of these on the other side of this challenge, in the midst of this challenge, is a God who cares for us very much. And he's saying, I know it takes tremendous courage to jump, but I'm not asking you to jump into deep water as much as I'm asking you to jump into my arms of care. He is extending that invitation to each of us. And then that verse says, so that he may exalt you in due time. So, let me use Jack's leap into the pool and into my arms as an, uh, continuing this example. Um, when he jumped and splashed into the pool and into my firm grasp, what Jack heard were the words, you did it. And the emphasis was on him, his act of humble courage. 
for each of us. Deep waters ahead, uncertainty, economic unknowns, unemployment for some of you. Do we think you can be, uh, are, you, are you so employable that you've got nothing to care about? I, I hope so, <laughs> but here's what I do know. God cares. In this current situation you find yourself in is an opportunity to humble yourself by casting all your cares by being and giving your whole self to the one who cares for you. First Peter five, verse eight, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Well, that's vivid, isn't it? Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So these words, be uh, alert and of sober mind, um, it is basically saying, be wide awake, pay attention so that you don't find yourself in some type of a calamitous situation that, um, that you can't get out of it. Remain calm and collected and pay attention in order to prevent a calamity. So imagine this, imagine you are in the South African Sahara and specifically you are in an area that's known for lions and you're huddled around your campfire just outside your tent. You can hear the distant roar of hungry lions. You probably don't need to be told this, but your guide says, remain alert. Stay calm, but remain alert. Um, I went to a uh, I went to a wedding, one of the first weddings that I went to uh, when we moved out here to California. Good friends of ours, Kristen and Josh, um, had an outdoor wedding, and their wedding was on Mount Diablo. And so we're there. It's a beautiful day, uh, beautiful setting. And I was like, "What?" It, it dawned on me. I was like, "What is this? What is Mount Diablo?" And uh, found out Diablo means devil. So I thought well, uh, that was a rather <laughs> Rather auspicious beginning to someone's marriage. Um, let's see, how do we want to enter into this covenant of marriage? Well, let's go to Mount Devil. Um, so, uh, but this word uh, devil, Diablo, in uh, kind of very close to the pronunciation in the Greek, is um, it means one who is prone to slander and accuse falsely, an enemy. So the, the enemy, the devil, um, the enemy is, is kind of a it's, a, it's a term used in a court case. And this is the one who opposes you in a court of law. So this is the picture. Imagine being tried in a court where all they said about you was false and misleading. How frustrating would that be? I wonder if the most damaging aspect of this pandemic is not physical or economic, but rather mental. And emotionally, specifically, I wonder if one of the worst things that could happen is that we buy into some lies about who we are. From the very beginning, and I mean the very beginning, in Genesis, in the Garden of Eden, the serpent specialized in deceit. The phrase he used when he was talking to Eve was, did God really say? And he begins to place a seed of doubt. He begins to lie and to accuse. 
El Diablo roars this question, this seed of doubt. Did God really say that he cares about you? And this word for resist is talking about defending yourself against something as opposed to attacking. So in other words, to use this, you're out on the African Sahara, um, out on the savannah. You're not hunting lions. You are alert and prepared to defend yourself against the lions. In other words, resist the devil. How do we resist false accusations? Because that's what he's roaring, are false accusations. We keep a firm grip on faith, faith that what God said is good and true and unchanging. It's not our job to kill the lion. We just got to commit to not believing the roar. Don't believe the roar that accuses you of not being enough right now. Don't believe the roar that accuses you of being insignificant and forgotten. Don't believe the roar that God is holding out on you. Don't believe the roar that says you can manage just fine on your own. Don't believe the roar that says nothing good can come out of this. And don't let the roar separate you from your flock. I don't know about you, but sometimes the roar seems loudest when I'm feeling lonely. I'm most vulnerable to succumb to the roar, to buy into the roar when I'm isolated. Verse 9, resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. We better resist the roar of lies when we recall that we are not alone. We are a part of a family of others who have joined the resistance. To hear us say, welcome home, when we say that, whether it's on a church service time or when we have been gathering in person, To hear us say welcome home is a reminder that you are a member of a family who undergoes and who endures. Here in verse 9, Peter is essentially saying, don't give in and believe the lies of the accuser. There are others in your spiritual family who have heard the same roar, the same stupid lies, and guess what? They didn't fall for it. So, I want to um, use the chat feature. I hope you're hanging with me. Um, When El Diablo roars in your ear that you are not worth being cared for or that you are not enough, who in your spiritual family can you turn to? Who can you turn to? You may want to name an individual. It could be... um, just a, a general person, Max, is saying he can turn to Brian. What a beautiful gift. I love that. And I'm not at all surprised, Max, that you put that. Your faith community. Yeah. Ah, Cashy. Mm. Moira and Lynn, great to have you with us, saying Rebecca and Christine. best friend, somebody else again saying the faith community. We have a third person saying Cashy. We're voting to keep you on the island, Cashy. That's what this is. 
Mm. Tim and Jamie. Mm. Holly. Mm. We have those people. We need those people. We need those people that can remind us, um, hey, I know what it's like to endure. They're people familiar with the deep end of the pool and they've heard the roars. These are the people that can look to you and say the trouble you're facing, the one that's like water that's way over your head, yeah, it's not even waist deep to God. It's humbling, but jump into his arms. He'll catch you. He cares. These are the people that can look at you and say that problem that's roaring in your ear, that lion-sized lie, guess what? That lion doesn't have any teeth. We need these, we need these people in our life. And the God of all grace, verse 10, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. This verse is reminding us that hey, we're going we're gonna to take our lumps in this. Um, there will be seasons where we encounter brokenness. That word restore says to mend what is broken. So this is implied in this. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, after you have been broken, he himself will mend what is broken. And he will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That that picture of steadfast is one of being able to make firm. Um, and I'm not saying that this is what Peter meant when he wrote this, but the image that comes to mind for me is that of a plaster cast that's formed around a broken bone that's been reset. Callie was quite young when she was jumping on a trampoline with a bunch of kids that were more than twice her age and three times her weight. And we don't, we don't know the details, but what Beth and I do know is that Callie climbed down from that trampoline crying and holding her arm. Her little arm, once straight, was now bent at a 25-degree angle. And at the hospital, her arm was restored and established. It was reset to straight, and around it was a cast that quickly set and held her arm in that position that was proper for healing. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, even in your brokenness, will himself restore and mend what is broken and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. And what Peter highlights is how things come full circle. And we see this all throughout Scripture. This is implicit in what he has communicated in our two passages that we've looked at today. It's the story of suffering, death, and resurrection. God always brings it back around to life. It begins with humble yourself that he may exalt you. And as we just read, after you have suffered, the God of all grace will restore you. Suffering, death, resurrection. In Philippians 2, there's an ancient hymn sung by those early Christians. 
and it talks about this bringing it full circle. Christ humbled himself by being obedient to death. Therefore, God highly exalted him. So I want you to um, reach for those communion elements, what you have chosen to represent the body of Christ offered for you and the blood of Christ that's been shed for you. And when we partake of communion, we recall the humbling death of Christ that preceded God raising him from the dead. In other words, before the crown was the cross. In the midst of our brokenness, God brings it around to where he will restore us. And we are remembering that this is because of Christ. Christ took bread, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body offered for you. Take and eat. And we read in Scripture that in the same manner, after supper, he took a cup. And he described this new covenant, this new way of relating to them, this new friendship that was formed because of what he offered, his atoning sacrifice of his blood. He said, this cup represents the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me. And we're going to close with the song, but I want to read one more verse and sort of set up why you're, we, are, we are closing with this particular song. 1 Peter 5.11 says, To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. It's like this, Peter gets caught up in all of this that God is doing for us and his care for us and this offer of restoration. And it overflows into a doxology. And this word um, doxology, is a, it's a churchy word. Um, we are going to sing a song that's known as the doxology. Many of you grew up in a faith tradition where this was sung on a regular basis. Um, it comes from a, a simple breakdown of that is um, the word doxa. It's a Greek word that means glory. A doxology is a way of giving glory, of giving praise to God. And the words that we are about to sing are, um, we are going to give glory to God. We are going to say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And this word glory has to do with God's brilliant and radiant beauty. In Exodus, we read about Moses' encounter with God when God's glory passed in front of Moses. And although Moses does not see God directly, he's allowed to experience God's glory, God's beauty and presence. So when we give glory to God, we are deliberately turning our gaze toward his glory. This requires us to humbly turn our gaze away from ourselves. 
the church I grew up in, we sang this song that we're about to sing. We sang the doxology a lot. And for whatever reason, the times that we sung it, were all, they always coincided with some type of an announcement of a big offering or a unanimous vote for a building project or something like that. And it was, it was certainly when something good happens, we praise God. But even as a kid, I sensed this inner tension. Do we only praise God when things go our way? Is it only a blessing when the money is flowing and when church attendance is up? This, these were thoughts that I had as a kid. But um, growing up in a preacher's home, I didn't make those thoughts known <laughs> around the Sunday lunch table. But Peter, in his letter, when he gets to this doxology, it just shows that he's, he's hardcore. He's serious about this. And by that, I mean, Peter has a praise God no matter what mindset. Contextually, Peter is praising God because in spite of suffering, the Spirit of God rests upon him and his Christian brothers and sisters. Can we acknowledge this too? It's our way of saying no matter what is happening around me right now, God cares and God is worthy of praise. Jane's going to lead us in this song.